morning, everyone. Good Shabbat Shabbat Shalom. This morning, our learning this morning, yearning, now learning, can be found in your Chumashim. If you don't have one, we have them in the back, the red book. Red book can be found in the back, pages 58, page 58. 58. I'm going to ask something crazy, and this is going to, I'm going to ask this every week until it happens. If everybody who are in this section here, if you could just get up and move over to this section. If everybody is over here, including my friends, the Shimkos, could everybody move everybody into these two areas so that I can look at you too? This two sections. It's easier to teach. It's warmer. It's warmer for everyone. It's good. It'll warm you up. There we go. And it also is, a, it, in a way, it's actually counter to the text that we're going to learn right now. You just did the tikkun of the text. You just tikkun the text. The whole land was safa'achat, one language, one lip. Udvarim achadim, what a strange phrase. And words that are achadim, that are echad, the same, same words. That's the way the story of the Tower of Babel or the Tower of the Babel Tower happens. It's our open up for the next 15 minutes, our collective baby drash on Torah, collective studying together of sources, deepening even as we glean something for our own lives. So we're going to go deep and open up these verses. The story is, as we'll read, let's read it together. And it was, everyone on earth had the same language and the same words. And as they migrated, Mikedem, from east or towards the east, from east. They found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, of course, where are we, everybody, in the Torah, in, the, in our foundational stories? Where are we in the Torah? What has just taken place in chapters 6 through the end of chapter 10? The flood, après le déluge, after the flood, after the destruction of the world, which, of course, is a new beginning, a new breishit. It's a new, let's start again. It's a start again. Start up. And so we were all one one language, same words. And then we went east, from east, we moved all of the peoples, the genealogy of early humans. And they found a valley and they settled there. By Yomru, they said, one person to the next said, Hava nilbana levenim. Let us make bricks. Let us brick bricks. Vinistrafa lisrefa and fire, fire. And let this brick serve as stone, and bitumen serve them as mortar. 
the verse, the form of it is beautiful, right? It's the same form as it did in verse 3. Vayomru, they said, Hava, let's, right? And now, verse 4, Vayomru, they said, Hava, let's. Let's build a city a city with a migdal, a tower whose head is in Shamayim, in the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves. Lest we be scattered all over the world, the land. God went down. God descended to see this city and great tower. Shebanu b'nei Adam that was built by the sons of man. Vayomer Adonai and God said, "Hin amechad v'savacha lekulam." This is one nation and one language. V'zechilam lasot and now they've begun to do this. V'ata now lo yibatzer mehem kol asher yazmu. Then nothing that they propose to do will be out of their reach. Hava. Now God says, let us, in verse 7, on the top of page 60. Hava. Right? A beautiful parallel to what they said. They said, let us, and God says, no, now let us. Let's mix up their, and confound their language, their speech. That they won't be able to understand one another. That's what the gods, or God here in the story, in our myth. I'm going to go mix them up. And God then spread them and scattered them out on the land. And that stopped them from their construction business. Therefore, they were known as Bavel, Babylon. God made them babble. They babbled. God was the source of their babbling. And from their God scattered them like the words that were scattered in coer- in coate, in coherence. There was an incoherence in language and an incoherence in unity amongst the people. And that's the way the story ends. What happened here? Now again, let's park for a moment, or maybe forever, when we study Torah together, whether this really happened. Because it doesn't matter. Let's assume it didn't. And that way we can even like up the ante. It still matters. What's the story about? What's this? Let's look at the sources. Let's go to this. Let's open this up. On your sheets in very small type, which I'll have to read because we couldn't figure out how to get this to be bigger, but we will, I promise. This will be a weekly thing, so weekly things get better. Source number two. This is from Birgitta Rabbi Liezer. This is a decidedly late Midrashic text. Rabbi Phineas said, there were no stones there where with to build the city and the tower. What did they do? They baked bricks and burnt them like a builder would do until they built it seven miles high and it had ascents on its east and west. It would go up like a ziggurat. It was kind of like steps. The laborers who took up the bricks went up the eastern, I guess, ramp. And those who descended went down the western ramp. If a man fell and died, they paid no heed to that man. But if a brick fell, they sat down and wept and said, Woe to us, when will another come, another one come in its stead? Wow, strong Midrash. What's the Midrash say is the sin of this generation? 
right? Putting people, matter before, or projects before people, technology before people, right? They had a goal. They had to reach heaven. That's what they started out. They said, let's make bricks and let's reach heaven. And this late Midrashic text, maybe, again, in our Midrashic moments and how we frame Midrash, who knows what was happening at the time of the writing of this Midrash. Maybe this Midrash, which was probably a sermon, at the time of Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, there was an increase in technology and we saw the dehumanization of human labor. Right? People didn't matter, things mattered. Someone could die for the sake of this great building. And in a Parsha in which humans are saved by a structure, where human life, right, the ark, begins the story, it ends with this tale of not a boat in which life is gestated, but a building with your golden name on it. Look at my building. Pirkei the Rebbe Leezer says, wow, can, can it be that technology would be so important or the industrial, whatever we want, whatever progress means, can progress really be progress if, is human civilization the sum total of what we produce? Is that the purpose of having one language that we communicate, but the communication is for the sake of dehumanizing. Here, language in bigger like the whole story is we had the same language. We, we found ways to speak to each other now on phones from whoever's watching this now. I don't even know you and where you are, but you're watching because we have one language now, one digital language. But we can use that digital language to dehumanize, right? The very same technology we use to be progressive and regressive. And here it's lamenting that. That's one frame. Anybody relate to that? Fine, me. Anybody else want to say something about this? Because we have more sources. Who wants to open up anything else on this? Open up on this. Imagining that a brick was more important than a human life. Yes, Ariel. A better story, or it's, it's kind of a good thing to be, to be critical. I, I want to invite us in, in our opening up this year that when we have a pro, when we say, oh, wait a second, to actually ask that question and then like wonder about it. Like, okay, I wonder for the rabbis why they felt the need to embellish this story. Um, and it could be, I mean, I'm going to offer my own uh, on one foot. It could be that actually it's not really clear what the problem was. Um, yeah, and what precisely is the problem? You could say that it was God's problem. God was scared. That's the simple meaning of the text. God was felt somehow challenged, right? Are they going to reach us now in anything they do? The rabbis, that's actually, it's not a close enough read of the text because it begins with this word, levena, which means, or nilbana levenim, which is bricks. The only other time in the Torah the term bricks is used is where? In the Egypt story, right? In the Egypt story, when we had to make bricks, that was tremendously dehumanizing. And the, the simple meaning of the text in the book of Exodus is that when we, met, we had a quota of bricks, and when we ran out of the quota, Pharaoh would just increase the quota to the point where we didn't have materials to make. So the rabbis are certainly listening right, to the whole sweep of Torah. They're saying, wait a second, brick laying is not a, a good thing. Right? You're building Pharaoh's palace. You're building 
a structure of evil. You're building something that's dangerous. And so they, they're hearing that, and they're saying, and, and it's also a beautiful lesson, right, in consonance with their values. They're like, what kind of person builds a building, even if you're pointing towards heaven? Let's say they wanted to reach God. You know, I, I have to say something. You know, the, the church that we, that we rent every high holiday is the Redeemer Church, a gorgeous building, gorgeous, stunning. We, we, we're the beneficiaries of its technology, its, its amplification. It's built for sound. It brings us all together in a way that we couldn't yet in this space yet. But three people, two people, two workers died in building that building. Two workers. And there's a plaque downstairs, you can look this up, that while they were building that church, two workers fell. It was an accident. It wasn't anyone's fault. It was an accident. Um, but like, it hit them so hard. You read the article, like they, they literally read the story. They're like, wow, we're building a sanctuary for heaven and look at the sacrifice. And we can think about the story on a lot of levels in our own lives. Like, we're building democracy. It's, it's, it's not clean. It's dirty. And we are weighing constantly the cost of progress against its, its, what we gain, what we benefit. I want to read another. I want to go one more open up here. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. So, right. So did you? So you did you hear? I heard you heard me. I said that that's the simple reading of the text. I think, and it's um, in a mythic text where God is guilty of many grievances and pettiness. Right. It's not the God character in the Bible has many faces, and not all of them are theologically um, comfortable uh, or correct. TC theologically correct. They're not all. Um, my God, my God, not talking about my God, that's not my God. But certainly, if you then, for a moment, midrashically abstract God to say, goodness spoke and said, I wonder, right, can they now reach goodness if the way that they reach goodness is this way? And that's what the midrash says, like, if you want to reach goodness by not being good, that's very difficult. I mean, it's a means-ends question. Let's look in Midrash Tanhuma, the last source on the first page. I guess you have to turn the page to get to the English. Okay, they separated into three groups. Midrash Tanhuma says they had three groups. One said, let us go and let's go dwell there. The second said, let us go up and wage war against God. And the third shouted, let us go and serve idols there. Right? They wanted, they wanted to live there. They wanted to fight from there or they wanted to serve idols. Those who said, let's go live there were scattered by God. Those who said, let's go and wage war against God were transformed into apes, spirits, and demons. And those who said, let us go and serve idols there were punished. Wow. What a, that's, a good, that's a good story. So those who said, we're going to use technology 
because we want to dwell there, thinking that that would be a place to dwell, they were scattered. Those who said, let's go fight against God, were deemed not evolved enough. They needed to evolve further. They were punished. And those who said they wanted to serve idols were punished as well. What's the Midrash and Chuma having a problem with? So there are a lot of ways to use a tower, technology. It can become an idol. Yeah. There are three groups. They're not really united. So, so Alyssa is, is pointing this out. They were really not united. The Midrash Tanchuma says, like, you think they were of one voice, but they were not of one voice. They had multiple voices, and they each had, they had different interests in this building. Right? One wanted the building in order to, to dwell there. God said, okay, I'm going to scatter you. Dwelling in that one building won't allow for diversity. Won't allow, right? I wanted, you to go, I wanted the world to be populated. Here you're going to be living in a building self ensconced, so God scattered them. It was for their betterment. But the second two groups, God punished them. It's a really beautiful, right? Forget about the punishment for a moment. It's really great to imagine that, um, that the use of technology, the use of a building, we can use them, we can use all of our structures for good or for not so good. I want to go a little bit deeper. I know this one could take us, we only have a couple of minutes more. Um, If you could turn, let's see, one second, which one should we do? Last one. Here it is. Last one is Rabbeinu Bachya, uh, number six, source number six, bottom of the page. And this is going to be the one that brings us up, the open up. Looking at this story from the, a rational point of view, the words, let us make a name for ourselves, which we didn't touch on, must be understood this way. The people of that generation were very advanced in matters of philosophy and even technology. Highly anachronistic, I doubt it. But let's say, could be, could be. However, they used their intelligence in a sinful manner. They constructed a city and a tower to protect themselves against a deluge of fire, right? Seeing that God had promised not to bring, again, bring a deluge of water. They tried to isolate and tame the power of fire in order to neutralize its deadly effects so that it could not engulf their city, right? As we have found also in our generation that some scholars or scientists know how to harness some of the strength of lightning, right? This is, this is, they were at the point of when this was being written, there was a lightning rod, right? There's a notion of a lightning rod that was being created or that was being discovered. So what is Rabbi, Rabbeinu Bachia living about 700 years ago, say, was their sin, as it were, their mistake. They're missing the mark. They're trying to outsmart God. Trying to escape particular punishment, trying to find a way out of consequences. Like, maybe we won't have to bear the consequences. Right? We won't focus on our behavior, but we'll focus on getting out of the consequences. As long as I don't you know, God will not bring water, but he might bring fire, protect myself. 
It's, it's post-traumatic stress. After the flood. They're fearful and they're acting as fear-based people. Anybody else want to offer something? Yes, Bhatia? So we're going to come in for a landing here on, uh, as a segue to truth and about the truth um, with a decidedly modern commentator who is, in a way, trying to say a little bit what Bhatti was saying. But So if the sin of the people was that they, there was a certain technology that, that they used inappropriately, like, let's just read that as the big frame here. Some technology they were using inappropriately to either cover a vulnerability or maybe expose someone else's vulnerability. Something about that technology is one frame, right? Technology being used inappropriately. The last of this, like, open up deepening is that it wasn't so much the technology, but the quality of the tower itself, what the tower represented, and how it spoke to a kind of mob mentality. If you look at the last sources from the Hamemek Davar, the Nitziv, Naftali Tzvi, Yehuda Berlin, the great, the great founder of the Chaim Berlin, of, or the son of the great founder of, of the yeshiva in Lithuania known as Chaim Berlin that I went to here in New York. The Nitziv was a decidedly rational Lithuanian thinker who was very much living in a time of of a problem of, of, I guess, colonializing or universalizing. He reads this in a decidedly modern vein. Let's read this. He reads that they were one language and then of one word, right? Words that were united. The word devarim achadim. Words that were united on the last page. Source 7 in the English. Source 7 in the English. And the same words, right? The Torah says they were one language and had the same words, but the text did not explain what those words were. Rather, it leaves as a hint, right, what the words might have been. But the words themselves are not explained by the text. It just tells us that they were the same words to teach us that it wasn't because of the content of the words themselves that God was distressed. What happened is that all thought the same thing. And this came to be the problem of the settlement. There was an echo chamber. There was an echo chamber. They all thought the same thing. So one frame is, the problem was that they used technology inappropriately. We all get that. You didn't agree that you have it, but I know you do. I have it too. The West has had it, where human beings are inferior to the progress that must be made in spite of those losses. You know, we cry about the brick. That's one frame. The second frame is, forget about that. 
The problem here was that there was an echo chamber. There was one voice, one language, not just one language, one language, and no one had a different idea. Just like homogeneity, one, it's like one brand, one thought, one idea, echo chamber central. And not only that, the Amik Devar, this rabbi, connects that idea to the height of the tower. Look at the last one. Why did its top have to reach the sky in this myth? What would that give them, being able to see things from that height? It's obvious that you should not think that this would be one city to the whole world. Rather, they thought that the other nearby cities would be subjects to that city and that they, had the, that they would be able to see it from a distance. Mordor. I mean, is anybody... Right? Huh? The Eye of Sauron. Like, they could see all of the, the fiefdom. Right? They would have a tower, but they would have Big Brother. Every, like, there would be quality control, and no one would think differently. This is an amazing... This is at the time of the writing of Animal Farm. This is amazing. It's like, wow. The tower represents the kind of control, the kind of dominance that doesn't allow for another voice, another culture, another anything. It's monoculture. It's mono-thinking. It's echo chamber central. They'd be able to see from the distance over all their settlement that no one would be able to separate themselves and go to another land. That's why they needed its top reaching the sky. Wow, right? From where we started? So it's quite a read. So in our open up this morning, in our reading this morning of Torah, and we're going to call for the general Aliyah. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to take one more, a couple more comments from Ted and then from Rich and then from Elizabeth, and then from the rabbi, and then we're coming in for a landing. Ted. So what you're saying, just bring us in, Ted. So bring us in. So you're saying that, and it's impotence, and 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 the impotence of technology. To, to in other words, in in you're you're in dialogue now with with, with Rabbi Karen. So Rabbi Fried was saying, you know, they're they're building a building because they've been traumatized, and you're saying, and and the story's lesson is, you can build the strongest building, and you're still vulnerable. Got it. Thank you for that, Torah. Rich. Face babble. Got it. Got it. So face babble. Elizabeth, and then we're coming in for a landing with Rabbi Jude. Yeah. 
couple thousand years, still the same story. Same story. And, and it, the, the, the deep problem of language and unity, language and unity, and we're having it here. We're talking about language. We're reading words, and we're having vastly different opinions. So not sure that the Torah is giving us an answer here, but it's highlighting a problem and, and maybe through its commentary is trying to in some way name it appropriately so that we might at least see it clearly. Rabbi Judy, bring us... Right. 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 So... So, so hubris. So, so one second. I, before we, no, 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 no. It's not too simple. But I just want to make sure I understand the question. So you're saying, and the comment. In other words, you're saying, you're saying that that's that question is as at the heart of this story, which is why can't we go back to unity? Why can't we? Right. Right. Okay. So, right. So, got it. So, I want to call up this morning uh, for our first Aliyah, our learning Aliyah, our open up, so you might come up to the Torah to receive a blessing. If, if anything that was just taught this morning that you might take with you for your life is something you'd like to have further reinforced through a blessing or through the reading of the story itself, I want to lift up this question from Judy and say... That Rabbi, that is the question, and the answer of this story is, is that there is no going back to Eden. There is no going back to a, pl- a time and a place where some unified experience, unit of experience, was blissful or was Edenic. That the reality is, is that we can't, we can't give ourselves over to a false unity. A diversity without unity and a unity without diversity are not complete. And so the Torah wants us to know that attempts to unify are themselves not only hubris, they are doomed to fail. Language will be, right? Language by its nature will invite us into multiple perspectives. But how we hold multiple perspectives, retreating to an echo chamber is not a way of inuring ourselves and sheltering ourselves from the multiplicity of opinions and perspectives that could, in theory make us crazy, right? The, the virtue of democracy is that we have one language which is the language of multiplicity. But how we hold that multiplicity and how we safeguard it, right, is itself, that's the challenge, right? So, you know, univocality is not an ideal in the Torah, in its interpretation or in our own lives, in our own person, right? We might wish to be unified ourselves, but we are far from it. There are multiple factions that live within me and you, and they are constantly voting against each other's interests. That was a great insight of Freud, right? I do the thing that I really don't want to do all the time. How does that work? I keep undermining my own success. Hey, wait a second. I'm in charge here. Who's in charge? You're in charge? Parliament of self. 
My superego says, but then my id says, and then my ego not. Like, what's going on here? This morning's aliyah is to be given the blessing to use technology appropriately. A. This morning's aliyah is calling up, open up, is to be able to re- to be able to reach beyond an echo chamber to see it, to see the way we try to build one for ourselves, to give ourselves shelter, perhaps, from places where we would like not to listen. This morning's aliyah, this open up, is to have the courage to storm heaven and also, at the other hand, to vote, as it were, literally, figuratively, for the sake of all of the voices that are not heard because one voice is trying to dominate if that is you this morning, if that's where you are, if Noah made his way to your seat, then please come forward for this open up Aliyah.